All right, well, welcome back to our study of systematic theology. Today, this evening, we're looking at canonicity, part seven. Uh, just a real quick review. We looked at the introduction, scope and purpose of theology, general revelation, natural revelation, and special revelation, inspiration and authority of scripture, infallibility and inerrancy, and now canonicity. Next time, we'll look at um, scripture and authority. We're going to go through, we finished watching our video, so we're going to go through our, our overview and questions. We'll probably run through this pretty quickly without too much discussion because you can see we've got lots of uh, extra notes this time to go through. And I think this will be helpful. These are um, papers that came from a class I got to, to take a few years back and I found them very informative, so I wanted to share them with you guys. All right, so uh, introduction, how do we know the right books have been included in the Bible? Uh, we explore this question and discuss the scope of the scripture and how far the canon of scripture extends. So overview, what is the Holy Bible? Uh, biblios is the Greek word for Bible. Uh, the, actually, it's Greek word for book, as he told us. Uh, the question of canonicity is how can we know the right 66 books have been included? Canon is from the Greek word Canon, which means measuring rod. Scripture is the standard and has no peer. Uh, what is the scope of the canon? Of the thousands of possible books, says the critic, only 66 were chosen. Weren't mistakes made? The overwhelming majority of the other candidates were obvious frauds. Only three books were given serious consideration for inclusion, but did not make the canon. Uh, he discussed those three books in the video. Hebrews, uh, James, Second Peter, John's Epistle, and Jude were not accepted by all immediately. A misconception is that it took 500 years to decide on the canon. It was 398 A.D. when the process of canonization was completed. But from the beginning of the church, the New Testament books were used and had functional canonicity. The heretic uh, Marcion created the first canon, he eliminated books that he did not like and kept those that fit his theology. This made it necessary for the church to make the canon official. What was the threefold test for the canonicity of books? Apostolic origin was important. To meet this criteria, a book had to be written by an apostle or by the direct sanction of an apostle. The authority of Paul stood behind Luke and that of Peter stood behind Mark. The second test was that the book must have been received gladly by the early church. The third test was whether the book in question was in agreement with the books already in the canon. The core, quote-unquote, books of the canon, the ones which were accepted without argument, stood in judgment of other books. For instance, Hebrews 6 was questioned as being out of sorts with apostolic teaching, this was resolved when the early church con concluded that Hebrews was written by Paul. And he talked about how there are modern scholars who no longer think Paul wrote it. Um, I, I personally think he did, but that's just me. Um, is the canon fallible? Did the Jewish canon include the Apocrypha? Did the Alexandrian canon, Greek-speaking Jews, have the Apocrypha? The Protestant view of the canon says that each book in the Bible is infallible but the historic process that the church took was fallible. It appeared to be guided by the Holy Spirit, but the church was not and is not infallible in its pronouncements. So we have a fallible collection of infallible books. The Roman Catholic view is that we have an infallible collection of infallible books. 
The church could not and does not err in her official pronouncements, according to the Roman Catholics. The church did the right thing. We have no reason not to be fully assured that we have a perfect canon. So questions and answers. Um, What question does canonicity seek to answer in relation to the biblical writings? That That question is, which books should be included? Who considers the books of the Apocrypha as canonical, whereas historic Protestants does not? The Roman Catholic Church. What existed before the formal process of canonization was finished? A functional canon. The Protestant view of the canon is that we have an infallible collection of infallible books. False, because, yeah. (laughs) What heretic, in producing his own canon, forced the church to give an authoritative list of the biblical books? Marcion. What was the threefold test used to determine canonical authenticity? Apostolic origin, church reception, and doctrinal continuity. There's some discussion questions here, and I'll leave this for you guys as kind of homework to think about them since we don't have a lot of time tonight. Um, But I'll just review them real quick. What is the definition of the word canon? We did talk about it. What grounds do we have for confidence in our present canon? What were the criteria of canonicity used by the early church? What is the difference between the Protestant canon and the Roman Catholic canon, and how does this difference arise? Is the canon of Scripture infallible? Explain. So think about those questions this this week. All right, so let's move on to um, these notes that came from this earlier class. Let's go through them. I won't go through all of it. I'll skip over some parts, but I like to get through uh, as much as we can because I think it's very helpful information. Okay, first we start with a scripture terminology. The scriptures, we believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, by which we understand the whole Bible is inspired in the sense that holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit to write the very words of scripture. We believe that this divine inspiration extends equally and fully to all parts of the writings, historical, poetical, doctrinal, and prophetic, as appeared in the original manuscripts. We believe that the whole Bible in the original manuscripts is therefore without error. We believe that all the scriptures center about about the Lord Jesus Christ and his person and his work in his first and second coming, and hence that no portion, even of the Old Testament, is properly read or understood until it leads to him. We also believe that all the scriptures were designed for our practical instruction, and there are several biblical references you can uh, look up on your own if you want to. So we have some definitions here. The Apocrypha, group of ancient Jewish books resembling the books of the canonical Old Testament, though not part of it. Uh, It comes from a Greek meaning hidden things. These writings are excluded from the Protestant canon, canon, but included in those of Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy, though these two differ slightly. Uh, Let's see. And then this is, again, further uh, homework if you want to explain the three branches of Christianity, explain... Uh, that all three branches have the same New Testament, explain the Jewish Bible does not contain the Apocrypha. Um, Canon, a rule or law originally used by a measuring instrument in the sense of a standard. Uh, Here it it likens the Greek uh, word to mean read. Um, And uh, how did Sproul put it? Uh, Not just norm, but what did he call it? Uh, Was it measuring rod? I think that's what he said. Uh, commonly refers to the list of books that collectively constitute scripture, the canon. 
Uh, likewise, the term can be used in a restricted sense, as in Old Testament canon and New Testament canon. The term closed canon, or fixed canon, refers to the theological concept that inspired scripture ceased to be written at the end of the apostolic age. Canonicity describes the process of recognizing the authoritative books. Canonical order describes the order the books appear in the Bible. And I'm going to butcher some of the uh, pronunciations here. <laughs> uh, Pseudepigrapha, a large collection of pseudonymous gospels, epistles, and uh, apocalypses that were not considered authoritative by the early church and therefore were excluded from the canon. Sometimes the term is used synonymously with Apocrypha, and then it goes on to describe where those words came from. Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy, traditionally attributed to Moses, also called the Torah, the Law, or the Book of Moses. Synoptic Gospels, the biblical books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are called synoptic because they recount many of the same stories, often with similar, sometimes exact wording, and in the same order generally, so that their stories can be laid side by side and seen together. Synoptic means seen together. Epistle, a letter in the New Testament, i.e. Romans to Jude, um, from the Greek word epistole, also known as epistolar, epistolary literature, explain how Paul's Letters are named differently than general. Again, more homework if you want to do it. Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament produced around 200 B.C., according to tradition, uh, by 70 translators. Uh, the Septuagint became very popular in the New Testament and is cited more frequently than the original Hebrew. Dead Sea Scrolls, a collection of manuscripts dating from the 2nd century B.C. to the 1st century B.C., First discovered in 1947, near the northwest shore of the Dead Sea. Copies of every Old Testament book except Esther were found there, along with several manuals pertaining to the life and conduct of the community that collected them. No New Testament books or fragments were found among them. These are two-sided pages, so you'll have to flip it over. All right, quick introduction to the Bible. The word Bible simply means book. The Bible is comprised of 66 individual books and letters, ranging in length from one chapter to 150 chapters each. The Bible is written over a period of 1,500 years by roughly 40 different authors. The Bible claims to be the Word of God and gives biblical references for that. The Bible contains an Old Testament, the sacred scriptures of the Jewish people, and a New Testament combined with the Old Testament, the sacred scriptures of Christians. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic, 1% Aramaic, uh, is the story of God's chosen nation Israel, was written between 1420 and 420 B.C., contains 39 books, in English translations anyway. The longest is Jeremiah, the shortest is Obadiah. And then it, it can be split into uh, three kind of categories, Genesis through Esther, 17 books, is history, Job through Song of Solomon, five books, is your poetry or wisdom literature. Isaiah through Malachi, 17 books, is your prophecy. The New Testament was written in Kone Greek, is the story of Jesus of Nazareth, the Jewish Messiah or Savior, was written between AD 50 and 100, contains 27 books and letters. The longest is Luke, uh, and just another note, Luke wrote more New Testament than any other author, so people assume it's Paul, but if you go by word count, it's actually Luke. 
um, the shortest, third uh, John, and the shortest verse is Luke twenty thirty. Um, and then you can split the New Testament up into these categories, Matthew through John, four books, the Gospels about Jesus. Um, you can look into the order if you like. Uh, Acts, one book, history of the early church. Romans through Philemon, 13 letters, Paul's letters to churches and people. Hebrews through Jude, eight letters, general epistles, or called the Catholic epistles. Revelation, one book, prophecy. Okay, the life of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus, son of Joseph, uh, titles Christ, meaning Messiah or anointed one, son of man, son of God, rabbi, Lord. Actually, the list goes on and on. Um, family, Jesus was a Jew from the tribe of Judah, the kingly tribe, uh, born 4 to 7 BC. And I don't know that I necessarily agree with that because I've done more research of my own. I do think our calendar is off. I don't know that four to seven is the correct, um, but it's definitely off, at least by a couple of years. Um, born in Bethlehem, the city of David, but raised in Nazareth. Uh, you can look at Luke references there. Died eighty thirty um, in Jerusalem, and uh, again with the calendar being off a little bit. Um, there's you know some debate there too about exactly what year. Matthew and Luke um, is birth through resurrection. Mark and John public ministry through resurrection. Uh, the Gospels are our primary source of information about Jesus of Nazareth. They record selective events from the life of Jesus. We learn about his birth and infancy until he was two years old. We get only a glimpse of his life at about 12 years of age, and we get a large chunk of information about his three-year public ministry. All right, next page um, just shows you the New Testament writers and which books they wrote. Uh, you can see uh, from a book perspective, Paul was obviously the most prolific here. Um, next, uh, John, uh, and then you see several of them only wrote one. Uh, just mentions uh, apostle, um, and whether they're apostle or an associate of apostle. Uh, and, and then, actually, that's a that's a um, a key there. That if you go by, I don't know if you can see on this sheet very well, but you've got the underlined, you've got the change in the um, font, uh, but it's a key. It's kind of difficult to tell in these copies. Okay, next page. Old Testament canon. Uh, canon, a rule or law originally used uh, um, a measuring instrument in the sense of a standard. Uh, let's see, commonly refer refers to the uh, books that collectively constitute scripture. Let's see, we kind of went over most of this already, so I'm going to skip down to the next paragraph. Um, Canonici asks why some books were included in the Bible as Scripture and others were not. By agreeing on a collection to call Scripture, we're recognizing the divine authority of each book. Canonicity recognizes authority. It does not ascribe it. Um, and it just gives a reference here. Uh, Old Testament, it says, Hebrew Scriptures, when talking to anyone who accepts the Old Testament, not the New Testament. Again, just to review, 39 books of the Old Testament broken into three categories, 24 books, um, uh, let's see, 39 books of the Old Testament broken into three categories, and then you've got the 24, um, trying to see, they broke this in different categories, it looks like, so you've got law, prophets, uh, and writings. 
In Judaism, this threefold division is commonly called the Tanakh, short for one, Torah, the law, two, Nabim, prophets, and three, Katabim, writings. However, long ago, Ruth was combined with Judges and Lamentations, with Jeremiah making 22 books equivalent to the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, stated that these 22 books comprise the Jewish canon in his AD 95 Defense of the Jews. Some books um, called, I won't even attempt that word, but meaning books spoken against, were given slow entrance into the Old Testament canon. They include Ezekiel, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Songs, uh, Songs, and Esther. Early evidence for a fixed Old Testament canon can be found in the prologue to the book Ecclesiasticus, about 180 B.C. Here the author clearly delineates the Old Testament in three recognized parts. These parts, having titles and sections, show that by the writer's time the canon was considered closed. The Old Testament canon was officially reaffirmed by the Jewish Council of Jamnia in AD 90. The Old Testament is consistently referred to as scripture and sacred writing by New Testament writers. When the Old Testament was quoted by New Testament writers, they often used the authoritative formula, It is written. There are about 250 quotes from Old Testament books in the New Testament. All New Te- Old Testament books are quoted except Esther, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. Uh, Jesus referred to the three sections of the Old Testament as the Law of Moses and the Prophets and Psalms. Psalms were shorthand for all of the writings. Quote unquote. Jesus accepted the Jewish canon of Hebrew scriptures. The early Christians, many of whom were former Jews, accepted this consensus about the Hebrew scriptures. Origin and Jerome are especially clear in this regard. Okay, now we look at the apocryphal literature. Let's see, we already defined uh, what apocrypha is, so I'll skip down a little bit. These uh, 14 books include, and it lists out the the books. We won't uh, list them all out here. You can read that. Uh, Let's see. Going on down, what doctrines and practices came from the Apocrypha? Uh, Pray for the dead and purgatory. This is in the Maccabees. There's a quote there. Hanukkah or Feast of Lights. Guardian Angels. The Preexistence of the Soul. um, From Wisdom of Solomon. This suggests that the kind of uh, body and this suggests that the kind of body one now has is determined by the character of his soul in a previous life. This passage is also used to support the Roman Catholic doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, whereby Mary was conceived without sin. You can see why these books are in the Catholic Bible, right? <laughs> Four reasons for excluding the Apocrypha from the canon. One, Jews do not embrace the Apocrypha alongside the Hebrew Scriptures. The Dead Sea Scrolls did contain a few of the Apocryphal books, but not the entire corpus. Two, there are no New Testament quotations from the Apocrypha. Um, There's a quote there. Skip over that one. Let's see. Uh, Skip down three. The books of the Apocrypha were not officially recognized as part of the canon by the Roman Catholic Church until the Council of Trent in A.D. 1546. Four, Jesus suggests the parameters for our Old Testament. While condemning the Jewish leadership for killing God's messengers throughout their history, Jesus charged them of being guilty of shedding the blood of all the righteous from Abel to Zechariah. The murder of Abel is recorded in Genesis 4 and the murder of Zechariah in Second Chronicles, which in the arrangement of the Hebrew canon was the last book in order. 
Um, again, it's uh, breaking down the, the three categories here of the books. So the Lord was saying, from the first to the last murder recorded in the Hebrew Scriptures, his statement was referring to the first part of the three sections, Genesis to the last Chronicles, implying the inclusion of the second section as well. By suggesting that Zechariah was the last murder in recorded scripture, he excluded much later apocryphal texts from inspired status. New Testament canon. Uh, Council of Canon. Seven men met in Jerusalem. Okay, now let's skip this first part because you'll see there's a big line in, in capital letters. The above is not true. So this is a, a story being circulated that some people have fallen for. We'll just skip over that. The church... <coughs> did not begin by making formal decisions as to what was valid as canon, nor did it begin by setting specific criteria of canonicity. Neither still was there some decisive council of canon, where church leaders gathered to vote on what did and did not constitute scripture. Canonization was a 200-year process during which churches gradually recognized what was and what was not inspired by God. And here's a quote from Sproul. Um, the Protestant Christian canon is a fallible collection of infallible books, which we looked at. This is because while the books themselves are understood to be inspired and inerrant scripture, mere men chose what books they thought should be part of the canon. Nevertheless, these men did not believe they were creating the canon. Rather, they were simply recognizing and submitting to the sacred truth inherent in the ancient text while avoiding those considered errant and of questionable authorship. What the New Testament says about itself, Jesus gives status to his own words, and there's uh, Bible references there you can look up later if you want to. Uh, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Matthew, I'll just read a couple of these. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live from John. Um, you can continue reading those if you'd like to later on. Um, let's see. Uh, very bottom, the same 27 New Testament books are accepted by the Protestant, Roman Catholic, and Orthodox branches. Um, that come from the yeah that came from the previous one didn't okay moving on toward a fixed canon the most common criterion for new testament canonicity in the early church was the ability or inability to trace a work back to the hand of an apostle the same criterion was used also for other beliefs and practices of the church this is because the apostles held undisputed authority the greatest contributor to postponing an officially recognized list was persecution, not differing opinions. The greatest contributor to creating an officially recognized list was false teaching, which texts from, from which apostles could be used to refute heresy. Origen was the first church leader to classify texts as accepted, rejected, or disputed. Any writing considered scripture had to contain teaching that aligned with already established scripture. Books known to be synonymous were automatically excluded. Early discussions include, and then we talked about Marcion before um, and his, his heresy, uh, and then it mentions a, a few other people. Um, I'm going to skip past this. You're welcome to, to read that later on if you'd like. The four Gospels were the only recognized Gospels uh, even during the 2nd century. Uh, Tashin's Harmony 
tied to put the four Gospels into one seamless volume. Um, the Dieter, I'm going to butcher this, aren't I? Dietesaron. Arrhenius spoke of the fourfold gospel, contextually meaning our four in AD 180. Um, let's see. Let's skip down a little bit. Hebrews, some of the Catholic uh, epistles, uh, especially James, Second Peter, Second, Third John, and Jude, and Revelation were the last to be agreed upon. Some works were sometimes cited as canonical or scriptural that would now, now reject, especially the Epistle of Barnabas, the Shepherd of Hamas, and the First Epistle of Clement. The earliest known recognition of the 27 books of the New Testament as a lone canonical, to which nothing is to be added and from which nothing is to be subtracted, is the list preserved by Athanasius, A.D. 367. The Synod of Hippo in 393 and the Third Synod of Carthage, 397, followed suit, the later under the influence of Augustine. During the Reformation, uh, both Reformed and Roman Catholic churches independently affirmed the 27-book New Testament canon. Okay, then we get into some notes on Hebrews, which we talked about. Uh, authorship of Hebrews, a question of canonicity. Um, let's see, Clement of Rome knew of Hebrews and seems to use it authoritatively. According to Clement of Alexandria, Hebrews was written by Paul originally in Hebrew and translated into Greek by Luke. One early papyrus uh, includes Hebrews among Paul's letters. Origen would command any church which used Hebrews as an epistle of Paul, although God alone knows who wrote it. The earliest Syrian canon included Hebrews as Paul's. Eusebius uh, uh, of Caesarea counted Hebrews as Paul's. Uh, it continues on just giving further references of, of why uh, it was counted as Paul's. So we'll go down a little bit. Echoes of Paul in, in Hebrews. Um, we have several things listed here. Uh, the impeccability of Christ, uh, milk for or solid food. Um, Habakkuk is quoted uh, only in Galatians, Romans, and Hebrews. Jesus, our uh, mediator. And it gives biblical references here that, that tie to these. Uh, mention of Timothy, uh, only in Acts 10 of Paul's letters in Hebrews. The term God of peace occurs in the New Testament, only in Romans, uh, Philemon, 1 Thessalonians, and Hebrews. Signature endings, uh, you can compare Second Corinthians, Philemon, and Hebrews. Other similarities, Christianity, Christianity superior to Judaism, Jesus as divine son, Jewish sacrifices, prefigure Jesus' sacrifice, tendency to enter a long parenthesis because of one word, etc. Um, and then it gets a little more uh, technical here and looks at some of the um, word usage in the, in the book and compares them. So you, you're welcome to look at that more if you'd like to. Uh, why no signature? The lack of signature is not the only non-Pauline component of the letter. It also contains no designated audience which all of his other letters included, since the audience is general. Perhaps he decided to admit both. Furthermore, Paul was the uh, apostle to the Gentiles and wrote his other letters primarily to Gentiles. This was the only letter written to Jews, and so it is not unlikely that he would have written this in a careful Greek um, different style. The pastoral letters are more different uh, from the established Pauline corpus than Hebrews, 
but since they are signed by Paul, conservative theologians defend their authenticity. Since Hebrews is not signed, conservative theologians are willing to dismiss Pauline authorship. So that's where a great debate comes in, right? All right, New Testament candidacy under attack. This battle for Bible's reliability was fought in the academy during the 19th century, in the church during the 20th, and it seems in the streets during the 21st. Um, excerpts from the Da Vinci Code. Uh, well, I won't get all, all this. You can read this on your own if you want to and see all the many uh, new attacks uh, about uh, our canonicity. Um, yeah, I'll let you guys read those on your own. We won't go through all those right here. But needless to say, there's no shortage of it. <laughs> All right, the uh, Gnostic Gospels. Several early religious texts believed to be written by Gnostics have been discovered in the last 120 years, including the Gospels of Thomas, Mary Magdalene, Philip, and Judas. Uh, the Da Vinci Code referred to these texts as unaltered Gospels that Constantine attempted to destroy. Um, Okay, Gnosticism, a movement traced to the second century that emphasized knowledge and enlightenment, the inherent evil of matter, and the goodness of the spirit or soul. From Greek gnosis meaning knowledge, Gnosticism seems similar to Christianity and Gnostics sometimes quoted from the New Testament in defense of their beliefs, such as from Second Peter 1, which places special emphasis on knowledge. Uh, Dan Brown, he's the author of Da Vinci Code, if you don't know that, mentioned two places where the unaltered quote-unquote, Gospels were hidden and recently discovered. Um, let's skip down. I really don't want to review Da Vinci Code too much. Um, the Gospels of Thomas and Philip came from uh, this Nag Hammadi library. These manuscripts were copied in the middle of the 4th century after the death of Constantine. Uh, again, more information here about these uh, Gnostic Gospels. I'm going to continue to skip down. You're welcome to read this on your own. Um, so let's go all the way down here to the bottom. Uh, New Testament, Pseudographia, a large collection of synonymous gospels, epistles, and uh, apocalypses that were not considered authoritative by the early church and therefore excluded from the New Testament canon. Sometimes the term is used synonymously with New Testament apocrypha um, from pseudos or false, and then epigrapha, to inscribe or write. Uh, let's see. Illustrating the late date of the Gnostic Gospels. I'm going to skip down. Does the Gnostic Gospels contain any value? If the Gospels of Mary, uh, Philip, Judas, and Thomas were written so long after Jesus, how much value do they hold? Their late date means that they were written under false pretense. Since their authors misinterpreted, misrepresented, their own identities, they probably contain little historical value. We also know that they were written in a heretical group called the Gnostics. They taught secret, mystical truth and thought that matter was inherently evil. They denied the full humanity of Jesus. These texts are saturated with such doctrinal agenda. These Gnostic Gospels were rightly excluded from the canon. They were not written by apostles or associates of apostles. Their fanciful content in contradiction with known apostolic teachings, disposed the early church to unanimously refuse them any sort of authoritative status. Old Testament textual uh, criticism, um, looking at Dead Sea Scrolls, 
the find in, in February, March of 1947. Who, two Bedouin shepherds discovered ancient jars holding large leather scrolls in a cave near the northwest shore of the Dead Sea. How and how quickly their discovery was reported is sketchy, but eventually these scrolls were authenticated. This launched a massive search in the area for more such hidden treasures. Over 200 caves were excavated in the immediate area, and 11 of them produced ancient manuscripts. The original cave was designated Cave 1. Caves 2 through 6 were discovered in 1952, 7 through 10, 55, Cave 11, and 56. Of these, Caves 1 and 4 yielded the most significant finds for biblical studies. The storehouse of manuscripts is thought to belong to a fringe Jewish sect known as the Essenes, who were known to inhabit the nearby area known as Qumran, less than two miles from any of these caves, only several feet from the closest. From the 2nd century BC through the 1st century AD, the caves apparently served as their library safe house. So Essenes, a 1st century Jewish sect in Israel characterized by initiation rites, regimented codes of conduct, and eschatological enthusiasm awaiting the arrival of two messiahs. Many identified the Essenes as the inhabitants of the Qumran uh, complex on the northwest shore of the Dead Sea and collectors of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Or the contents of it. In all, about 900 different manuscripts were discovered in part or in whole. Of these, approximately 25% were biblical manuscripts or fragments. The rest can be classified as Old Testament apocrypha, sectarian documents, and other miscellaneous writings. Uh, many manuscripts found in horrible condition, scattered in hundreds of small scraps around the cave floor, among other manuscripts in the same condition. This has made the identification and recovery of the actual contents very labor-intensive, you can imagine. Significance. Prior to this discovery, our oldest copies of Hebrew scriptures dated to the 10th and 11th century AD. The discovery moved us a thousand years closer to their original Hebrew Old Testament. While there were a few different versions of the Old Testament represented in the find, the similarity of various Dead Sea Scrolls, especially one complete copy of Isaiah, to our oldest uh, Masoretic text from the 10th century is nothing short of astonishing. Because of the DSS, liberal and conservative scholars alike agree that the text was faithfully copied during that thousand-year period. Furthermore, parts of the every Old Testament book were found except Esther. Uh, no New Testament texts were found. Uh, Masoretes, Jewish scholars who, in an effort to ensure the accurate transmission and pronunciation of the Old Testament text developed a system of textual notes and signs, did most of work in the second half of the first millennium CE. Um, this discovery is especially significant for Old Testament textual criticism. The discipline concerned with studying the manuscript evidence for a written work when the original is no longer in existence in the hope of discerning the original text. All right, moving on, New Testament textual criticism. If canonicity asks which books are inspired, textual criticism asks which words are inspired. And there's a recommendations here and then uh, some facts. The original handwritten New Testament documents no longer exist. Over 5,700 handwritten copies, and it's around 5,900 now, by the way. Um, many fragmentary of the New Testament exist in Greek. None of these copies were made from the original documents, but from copies of copies. No copy contains the exact wording of the original New Testament. No two handwritten manuscripts are exactly alike. 
There are 400,000 differences in the handwritten New Testament manuscripts. All right, so let's get into it. Question, given these facts, how can we be certain that the New Testament we have today is reliable and faithful, accurately reflecting the words of the original documents? Textual criticism is a discipline concerned with studying the disagreeing manuscripts in an effort to discern the wording of the original text. Given the abundance of manuscripts, it is possible to compare them and determine the original reading with some measure of certainty. In fact, scholars are by and large in agreement on the wording of the original documents. Textual critics now occupy themselves with raising or lowering the level of certainty about individual readings. It is also not terribly difficult to discern the intentional and unintentional habits of the scribes who copied manuscripts. According to A.E. Hausman, textual criticism is the science of discovering error in the text and the art of removing it. Perfect preservation does not necessarily follow divine inspiration. All right, some uh, details here. The types of differences among the 5,900 Greek New Testament manuscripts. 75% are spelling differences. Okay. (laughs) 15% are word order or other minor variations that didn't even affect translations. 16 different ways to write Jesus loves Paul in Greek due to inflection. Only one English translation. 9% are word choice where a synonym has replaced an original word. Less than 1% are what we could call significant differences. There are about 20 places in the New Testament where an entire verse is in question. And then it gives some examples, Mark, John, Acts. There are two places where an entire paragraph is in question, Mark and John. The rest are words or... The rest are words or two-three-word combinations, many involving word order and spelling. Some basic principles when reading manuscripts. The shorter reading is more likely original. As a rule of thumb, scribes retain questionable readings so as not to delete the Word of God. That means that when all the manuscripts of the New Testament are considered, we actually have about 102% of the original documents. (laughs) Sounds funny, right? Like a thief who doesn't steal the diamonds, but adds a few fake ones in the authentic ones. (laughs) The harder reading is more likely original. Scribes tended to smooth out rough sentences. Uh, The reading that reflects no doctrinal bias is more likely original. See Luke, Luke 2. The older reading is more likely original. Think of the telephone game. Closest to the original is typically more accurate. The reading represented in manuscripts of different origins is more likely original. The reading that best explains the origin of the others is more likely original. Harmonization. Okay, so now moving on. um, We're getting into classifying the evidence. First we look at some definitions here. Uh, This is all regarding New Testament. So papyri, uh, this is uh, what is written on papyrus and is generally more ancient. Is there talking about manuscripts here? Uncials, uh, written in majuscule letters or capital letters on parchment or vellum. Uh, Minuscules, written in minuscule letters, script or cursive, and generally more recent. And lectionaries, usually written in minuscule, but some in uncial letters, and generally more recent. So now we have our classifying the evidence page here. This is taken from 1989 edition, but you can see the breakdown. It breaks it down by century, and then it breaks it down by the the type of manuscript. So you've got your papyri, your uncials, 
your minuscules, and then uh, your lectionaries, which are further broken down by onchils and minuscules. And you can see the number of them that we have. Um, okay, according to Parker, and okay, this is from 2008. Um, you have it broken down here again by century. So second, third, fourth, fifth. From 2013, we have some totals uh, summed up for us here. So you can see, uh, like for instance, it says total 128 papyri, 322 ontals, 2,926 uh, minuscules, and 2,462 lectionaries. And then it breaks it down by centuries as well. Um, this brings the grand total to 5,838. Last time I looked, it was 5,969, I believe, something like that. Um, manuscripts, uh, that was as of 2013. The numbers assigned to these manuscripts are not in order of date or importance, but when they were cataloged. So a 4th century unfold or majuscule discovered today would be assigned the number 0323, after many later ones with earlier numbers. Note, not all were originally the entire New Testament. Some complete uh, emesis only contain one book or a collection. Even if all 5,800, 5,900 uh, were complete, we would not have 5,900 New Testaments. Uh, here is a data summary of the breakdown of the emesis based on content. This, again, this is from a 1989 reference, and you've got a nice little chart here you can look at and you can see break down the Gospels, Acts and Catholic letters, Pauline letters, and Revelation. And then bottom here you've got some helpful URLs if you want to go check them out. Uh, blogs here uh, for textual criticism with some helpful information on them. Alright, did we make it all the way through? <laughs> that was a lot of information. Good yeah, stuff, yeah, I think it's good stuff, and yeah, I encourage you to to um, dig a little deeper with it. Maybe look at some of the stuff we skipped over, or, or even just go to those links or look look up some stuff for yourself and see. Um, but I think it's helpful, and I think it's informative, and helps us understand the history of how we came to have the the Bible we have in our hands today. I left some things out that were only. Um, Ancillary, they weren't really core to this discussion of canon, like uh, the King James only crowd. If you've heard of them, um, but uh, you know we can we can discuss that offline if we want to. I didn't didn't want to fill this up too much. <laughs> All right. So before we close out, any questions, comments, or thoughts about what we looked at? Probably tired of hearing me speak, right? <laughs> I think it's interesting stuff. Well, thank you guys. Um, Arthur, would you close us in a word of prayer? Sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you for this, um, for these collection of books that we've been talking about, Lord. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, this wonderful um, word that you've given to us, Lord. Thank you especially for the blessing of this opportunity to to dig deeper about the history and the, um, the way it all came together, Lord, and, and also uh, opening up the avenues for more study and more discussion. 
so we can continue to go deeper into your word, Lord. I ask that you bless everyone and keep us safe on our trip home, and that we will uh, consider these things more deeply as homework when we get home, Lord, and that you will continue to lead us and teach us with your word always, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.